Ian, yeah. So uh, if you're just joining us uh, today as a visitor, we have been going through a summer series on 1 Corinthians, taking pretty, pretty large chunks of text uh, each week. The, the chapters in Corinthians are quite long. And of course, I've instructed teachers, obviously you can't do an exposition verse by verse uh, on that, that much text. But our theme has been thermostats or thermometers. And the idea is, is are we being influenced by the culture as the church or are we influences of the culture on various issues that we've been looking at? And of course, there is a bit of both. If you're going to be culturally um, sensitive and communicate with your culture, you need to know your culture. And of course, it needs to influence you in terms of how you communicate. But often the church has gone too far and allowed the culture to set the, set the temperature rather than the church doing that. And so today I want to talk about very appropriately the topic, this is not the end. And this is based on our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, where Paul, it's a very, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is a very eschatological text. Esch eschatology is a fancy word for theology of the end, how things will end in, in terms of human history. And so why don't we pray? And I'd like to invite Stephen, if you're up to it, to come and pray for me. Uh, can you use this mic, Dean? Is that all right? And uh, just like to give this time to the Lord. Hmm. So Abba Father, we thank you so much for this day, this time here now. Thank you so much for Gordy mm -hmm. and what you have placed in his heart. I ask, Holy Spirit, now that you would come and fill Gordy up, that your words would be spoken and ring true to the heart of today, of what you would want to say to each and every one of us. So we continue to welcome you here, Holy Spirit, to work. We want to see Jesus this morning. Yeah. We want to continue to see him and worship him, everything that we have. Pay all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, bro. Thanks, Steve. Awesome. So one of the advantages of when you have a house full of grandchildren, you're just coming off your holidays and your church is moving, <laughs> is that when you have a text this long, it can, it can end up being the sermon. <laughs> um, no, well, not totally, but it is long enough to actually be a sermon in itself. So I'm going to work my way through it. We won't read it like we've read the other text simply because we're podcasting and, it, and it, you know, there's big gaps in the podcast that can cause our listeners to go to sleep if we don't speak into the mic. So I'll read this. I might get you to jump in on some of the passages. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, and he says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, or Peter, as we know Him, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Now before I move on here, I want to point out a couple of things that Paul links the good news, this message of the good news that we have to our mission. That it, there's, a, there's an absolutely vital connection between our message and our mission. Inherent in the gospel, the story of God coming on his rescue to us in the incarnation, typified by the story of Moses and his commissioning to go to Israel and bring them out of Egypt, that inherent in the gospel is our mission. It's, it's, it's all one and the same. It's who we are. And it's very interesting in my discussions with the Anglican diocese, and you know there's been all kinds of controversy with the Anglican diocese here in Vancouver as well as other parts of Canada, some of it over the same-sex blessing issue and uh, other, other issues too. Um, and sometimes they can be, you know, we can use... Uh, terminology that kind of writes people off as our sisters and brothers in Christ. Well, they're liberals, or they're apostate, or they're this or this that. It was just incredibly, an incredible blessing for me to meet with these people at their off, head office downtown, and they really wanted us there because they knew that we were a people of this good news. They knew that, that St. David's, the story of St. David's, which... Uh, has been going since the early 1900s. Did you know that they actually mortgaged, paid the mortgage off of that church by uh, growing potatoes uh, and selling them in their garden, that very garden that's still there today? It's, it, it was totally paid off. And it's, it's been a story based on the patron saint of Wales, St. Saint, saint David, a, a, another missionary, wonderful, godly guy, but the story is of the good news, and, and it was important to them that that story continue through that facility. There were a number of other people that wanted to book the building, use the building, and of course, it is used during the week. Uh, different offices are used. Uh, there's a preschool in there. The Nishka First Nations, which is really exciting, are in that building. And uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful community center, but they really wanted the gospel to be preached and to be proclaimed uh, and as Fra St. Francis used to say, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> they wanted that gospel to go forth. And so uh, that, that was a real blessing. Uh, the second thing is, is, is the good news is, is something that we carry in a world that constantly feels that it's hanging on the edge of a precipice. You, you ever get that feeling? How many watch news lately? I don't know. I just... I love Peter Mansbridge, and I love, I love those guys. They're good guys. But they just, I, I just don't listen to them anymore. Because every time they tur you turn it on, there's just something that's, it's just like, we're, we're, it's, it, it's going down, folks. We're going down in a, in, a, in a heap of flames. We're going down. That's how it feels. And I'm a bit tired of that, and I'll tell you why. Because I grew up with that. I grew up in the Pentecostal movement, and it's a wonderful movement. I appreciate my heritage and my background. But it was always, the, this bad news was always being hung over us, just like a specter of, of doom and gloom. And I grew up under the Iron Curtain, and I can't tell you how many sermons I heard 
about the fact that the Soviets were going to strike the U.S. and Canada with a, a, a nuclear missile strike. How many ever heard stuff like that back in the... Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was a little kid. I grew up with that. And uh, living in the Iron Curtain, I, I remember at 10 years of age, I was in this revival meeting, and there was, there was hundreds and maybe even thousands of people in this meeting. And this preacher, you know what he said? He gets up and he says, oh, they've just discovered, and I'm 10 years old, okay? They've discovered this meteor heading towards the earth. And, it's, and, in, and in 15 years, it's going to hit the earth, knock it off its axis, and, and millions of people will die. And I remember as a little kid, 10 years old, hearing that, and I just bent over in my chair. I was sick with anxiety and fear. I was so afraid. I just thought, I don't have a future. I don't have a reason to, to plan. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to think ahead. A lot of Pentecostal kids did that. They would, they would go through a youth group saying, we're never going to have a chance to get married. Let's just fool around and have sex now. We're, not gonna have, we're never going to have a chance to, to plan for the long haul. And, uh, and so, you know, then the Iron Curtain fell in the, in the early 90s. And uh, I thought, okay, now all the uh, conspiracy theories are going to stop. No more meteors, no more mi nuclear missile strikes. You know, it's, it's, it's done. The, you know, life is good. You know, the world's still got its troubled spots. There's still some terrorism. There's still some hot spots. But at least we can't be so obsessed in all this bad stuff. And then along came the ethnic cleansing of the Balkan War. And then came 9-11, right? And then all of the terrorism that's resulted. In, and now Russia and the Ukraine and Israel and Gaza. Will it ever end? Now, what Paul writes in this text right here is he says, I have good news. Jesus struck a death blow to evil. He struck a death blow to, to the root of all of these problems that are happening in the world. This, the heel of the son of Eve, her offspring, has crushed the serpent's head. When he died on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. And folks, I know there's a lot of suffering in our world. I know there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of heartache represented in this room here today, in the downtown east side, here in the drive, and in Hastings Sunrise. There's a lot of pain. But I want you to know, Jesus Christ has finished it. He has struck a death blow to the root of this power. And there is a kingdom that is growing in the earth. It's the kingdom of God. Now, this is, this is what Paul is saying. This is good news. Don't lose sight of that. Then he goes on to say this, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No. I worked harder than all of them. Oh, yet not I but the grace of God that was with me. Okay, well, Paul, was it you or was it grace? Yes. You hear what he's saying? It, it, it was me, but it was grace. It was me, but it wasn't me. Yet I live, yet not I. It's Christ. And, you know, in our, in our Reform and, and Protestant tradition, we got into this split personality about is it God's sovereignty or is it human will? What, how do... The Greek Orthodox figured it out a long time ago. They called it synergy. It's both end. It's just God and us. 
It's just working together. The Holy Spirit. Jesus said, my Father works and I work. I do what my Father is doing. Am I responsible? Yes. Is God sovereign? Yes. I don't understand it, but it's called synergy. Synergy is where you have two parties working together where the sum is... What is it? The, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Where there's this uh, magnification. Let me give you a quick story. How many remember in the Old Testament where uh, the Amalekites, they were this, this enemy nation that hated Israel and they attacked them. So Moses spoke to his young protege, Joshua, and he said, Joshua, lead an army of the people of Israel and go and fight these guys. So Mo, uh, Joshua goes down with an army and they start fighting off the Amalekites because they're just killing their women and children and, and, and kidnapping and doing bad things. And so they're fighting down there in the valley. And uh, children of Israel losing the battle. But wait a minute, we're God's people. How come we're losing? You ever ask that? Um, what's going on? So Moses, he starts lifting his hands, and we assume praying, right? We assume he's probably praying. It doesn't specifically say, but Paul refers to that action later in, in, in 1 Timothy. He lifts his hands, and what happens when he lifts his hands? They start winning, right? Don't ever think that bodily, bodily posture is not important in your worship. Don't ever think that somehow, well, you know, I'll just worship kind of slumped and my legs out here. And, you know, but how many have ever talked to somebody and they never said anything bad, but their body language said everything? I've been in meetings where, literally board meetings in churches, not this one, of course, where, where people have sat like that to the rest of the group. They've sat away. They wouldn't look in your eye. So body is important. This is, if you forget anything else this morning, body is important. Body language is important. Posture is important. When we ask you to stand to read the scriptures, that is important. If you have a legitimate reason why you can't stand, then don't. But it's important. What we do with our bodies is critical. And so Moses lifted his hands, but what happened? He got tired. So he had two buddies, Aaron, his brother, and her, another guy. They came along each side and they sat him on a rock and they lifted his hands. And as they lifted his hands, the people of God kept winning. Kept winning. To me, this speaks of remarkable synergy. This speaks of remarkable interdependence. Moses was dependent on Joshua to go down and fight. Joshua was dependent on Moses to lift his hands and pray for him. Moses was dependent on Aaron and her to keep his hands lifted. And they were all dependent on God. And God was dependent on them. He made himself dependent on them. He didn't have to, but he's chosen not to do this apart from us. We don't understand why, but somehow on earth there's this synergy between God and us. Right? Critical, critical Critical synergy. A holy cooperation between God and us. So, um, in the second paragraph there, Paul says, but if it, is, if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, or sorry, for, but if it is, verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So again, there's this, there's always been this tendency in Christian thought about the end 
that the body isn't important. So it's not like these people thought that there was no future, but they just thought as kind of this maybe spiritual reality of what we do in our body has no connection to our future. That's just some kind of nirvana, or we all end up in the melting pot as this one consciousness. You know, we still have that, don't we? But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead, but He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. So in other words, Paul is vitally connecting our resurrection with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying if we don't believe that we are going to rise from the dead, then Christ isn't even risen from the dead. He connects the two. Then he goes on to say this, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Sorry, I kind of mixed up this verses there. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep or are dead in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. First fruits, you'll see this phrase throughout the text, is, a, is an agricultural word. That when the harvest began to ripen, they would go out and harvest some of the ripened. It's like in your blueberries, in your blueberry patch. You know, most of them are still green, but there's a few blue ones. You go in and you pick those. Those are the first fruits. And, you, and they had a festival. Anybody remember what it was called in the Old Testament that celebrated the first fruits? It was called the Feast of First Fruits. It was not a difficult question. <laughs> All right. Just saying. Good morning. And so... Uh, verse 19, if only for this life. So what, what Paul is saying is that the first fruits of, of all human resurrections is, was Jesus. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's the he was the first one who became ripe. How many know a few others rose from the dead that day as well? There's a few, some walking dead people walking around knocking on the door. You know, I don't know, Elijah what, knocks on the door and says, hi. You know, people pass out. Right? It was quite a day that resurrection day. You know, thunder, lightning, the world turned dark. Even the people in Lower Post heard about that. Thousands of years ago, they have that legend about the whole world turning dark. It's amazing. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul just comes out and says it. We suck. If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, we're pathetic. What are we doing? He who dies with the most toys wins. Let's get out there. What are we doing? Right? Verse 20, but if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've, who've died, for since, verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. When, when will Christ come? He's talking about the second coming. The, what we call the parousia, when Jesus will come at the end of history. Right? So history will end at an important juncture, and actually this text tells us when history is going to end. 
And there's some significant things on earth that will happen that tell us when it will end. And there's some significant things in Matthew chapter 24 that tell us when this will happen. But, but Paul kind of alludes to it here in this, in this passage. Verse 24, Then the end will come when He hands over the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. To God the Father after He's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. There's a remarkable description of something that Daniel's... of a vision that was seen in the book of Daniel that I'll talk about in a minute. When He has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. What does it mean He'll destroy all dominion, authority, and power? Does that mean there'll be no dominion? Does that mean there'll be no authority? Does that mean there'll be no power? Of course not. It just means that it will all be aligned with the king, with the reign of God on the earth. Verse 25, For he must reign, Psalm 110 tells us this, when will Jesus come back? He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And he started 2,000 years ago when he cried out on the cross, it was finished. We've likened that to D-Day in the Second World War, haven't we? Where, where there was a major victory won, but the war was fought for another year. There was, there was this mopping up, quote-unquote, operation that happened in the Second World War where more lives of the Allies were lost, and probably Germans too, than in, in any other part of the war. D-Day. But now there's mopping up. We've been commissioned to do what Jesus did. To heal the sick, cast out devils, preach the good news. To tell the good news, the poor, that this is the day of Jubilee. The kingdom has come. The reign of God has come. You don't, you don't need to live in the darkness, the, under the reign of darkness anymore. Christ has come. Lower post doesn't have to be vexed by suicide. We have good news for them. The last enemy to be destroyed, verse 26, is death. So, Paul talks about how the fact that talking about thermostats and thermometers, the world sees this life as all there is and they live with he who dies with the most toys wins. But Paul is saying, no, there's more and we will be all accountable for how we live in this life. There's a trajectory of history. Last week with the preschoolers, I I had an interesting experience with Kids Church because I had preschoolers Primary, intermediate, um, all in one class. And so you realize that when you're telling your story, these guys are getting it, but these guys, you've lost them. So I'd go back to these guys, and then I, they were getting it, and the, I lost these guys. So it was that kind of a, of a class <laughs> all, all the way through. I think it was okay, but uh, I had fun. I don't know if any of them had fun, but I believe in enjoying, in my, enjoying myself. Nobody else does. And so... Right in the middle of the story, I was telling the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Remember, he, he couldn't, nobody, nobody could tell him what his dream was. And, and he was troubled. It was like a nightmare. And he woke up, and he wouldn't tell anybody the dream because he said, anybody can interpret. Tell me what I dreamed, and then you'll know you can interpret it. Right? Now, I'm not sure if he forgot the dream or if he just didn't want to tell anybody. But whatever the story... He was really troubled by it. And and so I said, here's the nightmare. And I showed them the picture of Nebuchadnezzar's image. And it's this this, this statue with a gold head, silver chest and arms, uh, what is it, bronze uh, thighs and and kind of, uh, yeah, top of the legs. And then the bottom was iron. And then the feet were iron and clay mix. So I show the image and the kids are kind of looking at the image and they're going, that's not scary. 
And I, and I realized right in the middle of it, this isn't a nightmare. What? And it almost blew my story. I'm going, this isn't a nightmare. This, what's, what's wrong with this? But then it hit me. This is what, I saw this little rock at, at the bottom of the, of the picture. So this is why reading books is better than watching movies because I could show you all kinds of pictures right now, but you have to use your imagination. And your imagination is way more powerful than any picture I could ever give you. So are you ready? Here it is. You see this little rock at Nebuchadnezzar's feet, right? Or at the, the, the feet of the image. That Nebuchadnezzar, and we know, of course, the image represented the gold, represented Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdoms of this world, right? The, the silver represented the, Greco, the Grecian Empire that came later. And then the bronze represented... Uh, am I getting that right? No. Am I getting that right? No, no, sorry. Uh, the, the Babylonian Empire was the head. And then the, the silver was the Persian Empire. My apologies. We got that wrong. And then the bronze was the Greek Empire. Then the, the legs were iron, so that was the Roman Empire. And then the feet were uh, a mix of iron and... Clay. Are you, now, are you getting it? See, imagination is better than showing it on the video. Here, right? You getting that? All right. Now, the, the Persian Empire um, was the silver. The bronze was the Greek. The iron represented the? And what did the feet represent? The divided Roman Empire. Remember, there was a split. So it weakened it. It was greatly weakened. But right at the feet was what? This little innocent-looking rock. That's not a nightmare, is it? So, so here I am talking to the kids, and I'm going, oh, what am I going to do? But then all of a sudden I got it. One of them got it because I saw their eyes go, oh, the rock was growing. So the rock was put on a pendulum, and it came and it struck that statue, and it busted into pieces from the feet up. It just smashed into pieces. And then the rock began to grow and grow and grow and grow. Can you imagine that? In this room, a rock is growing and it hits the walls, smashes the walls out, smashes the ceiling out, and just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And then the kids are going, that's scary. That's really scary. That's what Nebuchadnezzar saw. And he realized that that gold head that was on that image, represented his ambitions, his kingdom, his dreams, his desires. And as long as he was not in alignment with that kingdom dream, it was going to fade. It was going to be smashed. It was going to be destroyed. And so the whole message here is, is our lives are to be aligned with that kingdom. And, and so Daniel, when he was explaining to Nebuchadnezzar the dream, he said, that little rock says that in the days of those kings, and it was during the Roman Empire, wasn't it? In the days of those kings, God will establish a kingdom, and that kingdom will grow. Of its increase, there will be no end. And it will fill the earth. So you want to live forever? You want your life to count forever? Line yourself with a kingdom that will never pass away. It will never fade away. Align your life with God's dream. God's dream for shalom on the earth. God's dream for uh, peace between races, between cultures, between uh, economic classes. Shalom. Shalom. God's dream, the kingdom of God. I think the, the Africans call it Ubuntu. Am I saying that right? Ubuntu? It's this, it's this sense that I am a human being by being with others. That's where my hum humanity comes, by being connected with everyone. The First Nations call it the web of life. And that's the kingdom of God. 
where we align ourselves with God's dream. And so the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So somehow, somewhere in history, between the synergy of God and us, death is going to be defeated and Christ will come and reign on the earth. So we're in this mission with God uh, cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Let's read on through our text. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? The Corinthians had a practice of people that had died and maybe they didn't get a chance to baptize them, so they they did some kind of ceremony to to recognize that that person had faith, um, we think. Um, it, it, Paul doesn't endorse the practice, but he just mentions it. We, we don't do it because it's the only time it appears in Scripture. It's kind of weird, kind of a, and it doesn't seem... I know the Mormon church does that, but it's not something we feel we, we are to do as Christians, but the, some of the Corinthians were practicing this. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Tell me. I could be living in Honolulu on a beach. Why am I, you know, I I used to tell our young people in Calgary, how would you like to hang around Paul? Wouldn't that be exciting? But Paul, I don't want to go to Europe. Shut up and keep swimming, right? (laughs) Like ducking rocks, tomatoes. I mean, he got stoned three times. His body was pickled in the Mediterranean Sea from all the salt. He says, why do I do this? I face death every day, just as, every, as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. I fought the wild beast in Ephesus. I have a feeling he wasn't talking about animals there. <laughs> With no more than human hopes, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If this life is all there is, then get what you can out of life. Maximize the pleasure, live it out to the full, and then you die. Right? That's what he's saying. If there's no hope of the resurrection, if we don't live for a future hope, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. See, your concept of the future will cause, call, will cause you to sin if you don't have a proper understanding of Christian hope and where God is taking us. This is really critical to our life today. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. Come back to your senses. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, well, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. And so, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are also earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. So everybody, okay, use your imagination. Everybody imagine a carrot seed. You see it? What is a carrot? Does anybody not know what a carrot seed looks like? It's like a pebble of sand, isn't it? It's really small. So imagine, imagine a carrot seed, right, over here. Paul's using an analogy here. All right, everybody imagine a great big fat carrot at a 
Chilliwack. <laughs> Over here, right? Now, there's a, there's a relationship between the two, isn't there? But what's happened is this, this one has died. It fell in the ground and it died. And what came up, it still was the same. There still was a connection, but it's different. It's the same, but it's different. There's a resemblance, but it's different. And Paul is trying to help us understand that our bodies, they're going to be resurrected. They're going to have different qualities. You're going to be able to walk through doors. In fact, after Jesus' resurrection, I love that part where he ate that fish, and then he went through the wall, and the fish went right with him. I mean, I would have thought, man, if he'd gone through the wall, the fish would have, you know, and just slid down there. But no, something happened to that fish once it became part of him. It's amazing, eh? That fish went to heaven. That fish sat in the throne. That fish was worshipped by the angels. Amazing. Just think. So there's something incredibly connected to this life. It's not like, oh, nirvana, or oh, we're up in the, you know, the cosmic consciousness, floating around, sipping root beer through golden straws. No, my friends. It's going to be incredibly connected. In fact, it all ends up here. Some people say, well, I'm going to go to be with Jesus. Where are you going? He's coming here. It's going to be here. The last chapter says, heaven marries earth. There's a wedding. Behold, the tabernacle of God will be with us. And First Nations will be able to live in their communities under their vine and their fig tree with their moose. And the nations will be at peace. There will be no more war, no more poverty, no more sickness, disease, no more suicide, no more depression. Wow. No more sun, because the lamb will be the light. Wow. So we've got to have a body that can handle that. I mean, if we did that in this body, just be like one of those crazy movies. Just splat all over the walls. We wouldn't be able to handle it. So how are the dead raised? So Paul describes that here, uses this analogy of the seed. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another. The star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in honor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. By the way, this sowing and reaping happens in this life too. It's not just that this happens in eternity. I've lived long enough now. I've lived long enough now to be able to tell you, Sonny, that I tell you what goes around comes around. Tell you what you reap, what you sow, you reap. And, and God blesses sowing. And sometimes you feel like you're in such weakness. I can't tell you the times in the last 20 years I've been in this church, 20, 23 years I've been in this church, where I just thought, God, nothing's happening. This is a shriveled up old gourd. You know, the tenants is down. People are depressed. Giving's down. I can't tell how many times I've been through these cycles. I just, the Lord says, I'm here. I'm building. My kingdom's here. Remember how I came into the world? I was pretty fragile. Remember how Moses came into the world? In the basket. You're in the basket. And Dee, she just told me some stories that just made me weep this week that she's heard from fruit 
that just came, you know, we used to have this youth group. We had four beautiful girls and 50 guys that wanted them. And there'd be a big cloud of pot outside our house, big cloud of marijuana smoke. Our neighbors would scream at us. And sometimes the youth group was so chaotic, and I thought, my God, we're wasting our time. But I couldn't stand the thought of going, my daughter going through teen years without a youth group, so we did it. One time we went, we went to the U.S. for a, 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 a youth rally. We had 13 nations represented in this little youth group. There's about 20 kids, 13 nations. We had Iraqis, I mean Persians, we had South Americans, we had Chinese, Vietnamese, I mean, and, and we went to the U.S. border and, and nobody had any problem except who to get across the border. Anybody guess? The Brits. They wouldn't let the Brits across. There's still a 200-year wound that hasn't quite been healed yet. <laughs> but it was crazy. Come up and tell us some of the stories you told me. This just so touched me. Just, just one, one after the other. I mean, one thing I've been thinking, whoa, the liability my dad put himself at risk during that phase is pretty huge. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. I mean, he, he was taking us on a ski trip one time, and half of them had never been on a ski hill. From Africa. Yes. And uh, just thinking about, it was my dad, and I was in the youth group, about 10 or 12 of us, and I could ski, and maybe one other person had a few ski lessons, but very little. So they were all following me up to the intermediate hill. So when we're up there, I'd be like, so you guys can ski, right? They're like, no. <laughs> so one guy got winded. One guy had to be rescued. Like, just the liability of that season is unbelievable. The guy's poles were sticking out of a big fir tree. His poles, had, he had yeah. such a wipeout. I saw his ski poles stuck in the side of a fir tree full of snow. It was brutal, yeah. And just like, I mean, to the naked eye, that phase looked pretty rough. Like, I have to say, like, I, some um, times I've thought back and not hearing things and just thought, that was horrible. Like, what we put dad through and what we put the other youth pastors through that were there with their, like, very good Christian kids. And we were just always getting in trouble. And um, I remember dad one time sitting, it was a horrible night. And think one of the youth guys got into a fight with another guy. And um, my dad just sat with us and he's just like, I don't know what to say, guys. Like, this is really rough. Do you remember when you sat us in a circle? It was in one of the, you probably don't, you probably want to block that memory out. Trauma. <laughs> And uh, I just thought, this is so dark. And um, I obviously was trying to, I went through, you know, my rebellious phase, but at around grade 11 and 12, I was extremely radical. I, oh, it'd be good to feel like that again. But I was extremely radical for the Lord, and I was trying to bring all my Christian, um, all my friends to the Lord. That was my goal. Um, so, and I had no Christian friends, so they were all, they were my kind of, that was my goal, and, and they were my friends, too, so it was all a bit of a, a big mess thing, but, um, yeah, so they started coming and to church, and to, especially to, you know, when we would invite them on ski trips or something, they'd be like, oh, that's fun, let's go on ski trips, and then almost give my dad another nervous breakdown, but he survived it, so he's got strong nerves, because I tell you, that was rough, <laughs> um, 
But just recently, there has been a few things, and I know a lot of those people that were in the youth group, I know that they came out stronger. Jesse became a you know, youth pastor leader, and there was a lot of things I saw fruit. But a lot of it I thought was death. Like, you know, you know, there's a lot of association with planting seeds, and you, like, put it in the ground, and you're like, that seed's dead. Like, you're burying it. It's a lot of hope that a tree or a flower or something's going to grow out of that seed when you lay it in the ground. So it's like sowing and reaping is, is like that too. And I remember thinking, oh, this is so worthless. Like I remember crying like I was so tired. And I, was, I obviously had a lack of boundaries, so I didn't notice when to say no to people. So I was totally burnt out. But I just felt like continuously sowing and praying and da-da-da-da-da. And even recently, like 10 years, 12 years later now, I've been here. Uh, one guy that I thought was a total, like, lost cause became a youth pastor. And um, <laughs> it's just like, I didn't know. My dad bumped into him on the drive, and he He's was re- in the hood. Yeah. He was a real annoying person. <laughs> he was in my high school, and he lost his mom, and he was always whining and always complaining about everything. And, and I was like, well, well, have you ever thought of giving your life to God? And giving your life to Jesus, and he was like, no, no, that doesn't, you know, and I remember going to him, to his um, mother's grave, and he was bawling, just sitting there, and I, and then he left, he, he was so angry and bitter at life about everything, and then I was like, well, Jesus can, you know, help you, and it sounds so futile when you're talking to these people's lives, and they've had death, and blah, 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 but I felt sometimes everything I did was just worthless, it was so, like, it was like death, you know? And so recently he became a youth pastor. And then out of nowhere, I was on Facebook, and another guy that was in our youth group contacted me to be a friend. And they're Iraqis. And they were Muslim when they came to the youth group. And then all of a sudden I saw them having all these pictures of them protesting persecution in Iraq, you know? And I'm like, what are they doing? Persecution towards Christians. And then I saw a big sign that he had up, you know, uh, just because we believe in Jesus as our Savior gives you no right to kill us. And there's just all these signs. And I was like, they, they became Christians. Like, I didn't know that. These guys, no way. I did not think they would. No. No. <laughs> so I just start to see fruit of, um, but it's not it's the resurrection power that I think causes something from the ground to rise. So when I thought in moments, this is, this is like death, this is nothing, God has a different view of that. He says, I come with resurrection power, which you so I raise. You have no authority to raise stuff from the dead. I do that. We have to be faithful and trust in him hoping that flower will come, sitting there. I hate gardening too, by the way. So sitting there, hoping, waiting. It's in the ground. It's buried. It's dead. It's in poop if the cat pooped on it. Like, it's, it's dead. It looks like death. But he comes with the resurrection power that he's promised us and raised stuff from the dead. And I just feel like it's unbelievable. And I feel like today I thought... I think there's dreams here. People are like, that's dead. That's gone. I tried that. I sowed that. It's dead. Don't believe in death. We believe in resurrection power. We believe in something that's a mystery. 
we believe in something that doesn't make sense to humans, to, to you know, well, to, yeah, to some humans, but even we doubt. <laughs> but his resurrection power is able to, from a tiny seed or from, from death, to raise something to life. So that's, that's something I wanted to share. Thank you. So encouraging, and, and there's, there's names we can't mention just due to the circumstances of, that I heard this week where, you, you, know, you know, you don't write people off deliberately, but kind of in your heart, you kind of go, they've walked away. They've walked away from God, you know? And we've just heard stories of just one after the other, just in different ways, connecting back, just going to church or following <coughs> Jesus. And so, and, and this fits so well with what Paul is writing here. He says in, in, in uh, verse 41, uh, did I read this already? Just, I just want to read verse 48. As was the heavenly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is, uh, sorry, as was the earthly man, so are those of the earth. Okay? As is the heavenly man, so also are those of heaven. So through Christ, through believing on Him, baptized, being baptized, we are now of the heavenly man. Remember that book came out about the guy in China? The heavenly man? That's where that came from, right? That's, the, that's that phrase. Because he saw... There were sometimes angels just walked into his prison cell and said, okay, time's up. Sentence served. I know the government said it's still got time, but you're done. And they walked him out. The, the, the jail opened like elevator doors, like it's Safeway, you know. And he walks out. Sometimes being severely beaten and just physically shouldn't have even been able to walk. And he walked out. It's an amazing story. Mark, he slept in Marcus's bed. Switzerland, right? Yeah, he slept, he slept in. Marcus wasn't there at the time. But it was just, just thought I'd make that clear. But later on, Marcus is just all over that bed. Just going, oh, and get some of that. <laughs> all right. So verse 49. So this, is, this just preaches. Let's just let this preach. This is just preach. And just as we've borne the, heaven of the, the image of the heavenly man, so we shall bear the image of the earthly man. I must have been tired when I did this, but that's okay. We're repeating verses here. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, it, does perishable inherit imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all be changed. Remember they, they put that on the... On the nursery door one time, that we will not all sleep, we'll be, we'll be changed. Verse 52, I thought that was brilliant. Brilliant exegesis. Verse 52, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Woo! Last sermon, Salvation Army, get ready, it's coming. Woo! Here we are, verse 55. I'm going to milk this one to the max. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 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 whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you have to look back before and say, what's it there for? 
You go back to therefore and you realize he's talking about the fact this is not all there is. This is not the end. What we do now, everything you do is a work of God. The work, washing dishes, changing that diaper, no matter what you do, that is God's work. There's nothing you do in this body that is a waste of time that won't count for eternity. It's like that pebble on the ocean that just sends out ripples forever. Therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You're not wasting time. You're not wasting money. You're not wasting space. Satan knows your authority. He knows the threat you are. He's scared of you because of the greater one who lives in you. Death has been defeated by that. All the powers of hell tried to keep him in that grave. Every demon from every assignment from every outpost in the universe was brought back to keep him in that grave. And they couldn't keep him there. And that power is in you and me. So, the story's not finished. I listened yesterday. I, turned, I couldn't believe it. I turned on the radio. CBC was uh, doing this documentary on a guy named Norman Feller. How many have ever heard of Norman Feller? Norman Feller was part of an organization called the Y2K 15-Year Club. You know what they did? When Y2K was approaching, they built bunkers in their backyard, no windows, no doors. Well, there had to be a door, but they were locked in there. And they said that uh, they knew, they, they had it all figured out, the world was just going to go to pot, it's going to go crazy. So they were gonna, their plan was to come out in 15 years. So they went in before Y2K, and he said after 14 years, he, got, he, he said on the radio, I just realized that 15 years is kind of a long time. So I thought I'd come out at 14 years. And he came out. His house was still there. His car was still there. I think the tires might have been flat, but it was still there. They said, well, what's changed? Well, he says, everybody has a phone in their hand. And I can't smoke in the mall. He says, I can't believe it. The Simpsons are still going. <laughs> but Friends has stopped. He was really sad about that. But you know what? You know what? Just really, it's, a, it's heartbreaking, really. It's a funny story, but it's heartbreaking. Because he said, I, I wasted 14 years of my life. Got divorced. Lost his family. And I know that's a, that's a bit of a crazy example. But it is such a picture of what happens when we don't hold on to the Christian hope. We start wasting our lives. We start spending ourselves on things that don't matter. And so I just want to say to us, this is not the end. This is the end of maybe a chapter. But the story is still happening. And, and the story is not finished. So I'd like somebody to call the kids. And we're going to just end our time here at the Salvation Army building with a time of Eucharist, Thanksgiving, where we thank God for the season that he's given us. I've seen so many people come. I've seen so many people go. And you know what? Most of them are going on with God, walking with Jesus, are good friends. We're brokenhearted that they, they left, but there's, there's relationships that we treasure from around the world. And... When Darlin, a few months ago from the Salvation Army, told me that 
that uh, they were going to sell the building. And he told me that the Salvation Army had actually only kept this building operational because we were here for years. They said that we were the only reason. And they finally had to make a very difficult decision uh, to sell the building and just, just, it was a business decision. But kingdom, in their, in their mind, a kingdom vision. And we blessed them. We blessed the heart they've had for us and, and even the way that they handled us in this. They were so tender and, and brokenhearted. They were really sad when they gave us the news. And, and I just felt from the very beginning, as I walked out of that meeting, I felt on one hand this was the worst news I could have heard because we've just enjoyed such a stability here. Uh, but I, I felt the sense of adventure as I walked out of the building. And the words by Alan Hirsch that I just read in his book, The Permanent Re- Revolution, just rung in my head. Is Are we organized as a church around institutional maintenance? Are we organized around the mission of God in the world? And every organization has an organizational bias. We are perfectly organized to get the results we're getting. That's, that's just a typical phrase being thrown around. We all have an organizational bias. And I just sense the Lord is blessed with the fruit he's seen here. He's blessed with, the, with, with, with all the things that Dee just shared. and all that. He's blessed. But I just sense that in this move, the Holy Spirit is going to do a shaping and get us just a little bit more aligned to see a harvest come into the kingdom. I think we're one of the best kept secrets in the lower mainland. It's time to change that. Not that we become a lousy secret, but we stop being a secret. <laughs> being best kept, good news. Good news. So why don't we celebrate a little bit? And just as we break bread together, and Rick, by the way, I didn't, I didn't know we were going to have communion today. He said somebody told him. It wasn't me. Remember Samuel? Yes. Eli, <laughs> what do you want? I think the Lord was speaking to Rick. I think it's a really great idea that we celebrate communion. So we want to have our children come and parents, according to your own discretion, you can involve your kids. We have, well, I'll get you to explain it in a minute, Rick. Rick, why don't you get yourself ready? I've sung, emceed, preached, and my voice is going. So just, you're going to do it in just a sec. Just wait. Um, <clears throat> I can yell. Yeah. <laughs> Don't poke fun now. So, we all have this organizational bias. And Strathcona Vineyard uh, folks, I think it was Stephen, gave me the first heads up, but then Don and a few others, just were so beautiful. I had some eyes and ears out there, because building hunting and business and negotiation and all that stuff is not my forte. I do not enjoy doing that. But I just felt it was a bit of an adventure, and... There was a couple of things that happened, I think, uh, that were a sign. We talked about this at our leadership team on Sunday night. And that is that we'd gotten a preliminary view of the building and saw its strengths, saw its weaknesses. There are some wonderful strengths to the building. There are some challenges for us that we're going to have to work through. We, there's a lot of clutter being cleaned out, and you'll, you'll see that. But, hey, we're going to work with it, and we're gonna, it's going to be good. But... Um, the location is incredible, I think. I think that it's location-wise, it's going to just bring in a harvest. Uh, there's a favor on that building in the community already, already a, a relational equity in the building. So we, we enjoyed our first kind of view. Um, 
But then I couldn't get a hold of the guy that makes the decision for the longest time. It was weeks and weeks and weeks, and I was just getting really discouraged. I thought, I, ah, they're not, I'm not getting return phone calls. They don't want us. And on my birthday, I got a hold of this guy and just had an amazing connection. On my birthday. Now, how, do, how good do you think it is of God that he would allow that to happen on my birthday? And Karen had a question last week from the Lord's Prayer as we were discussing as a leadership team meeting. Is this building a gift from God or is it a test for us to rush a decision because we need a building? What is it? And we went around the room and shared and unanimously our leadership team said, this is a gift from God. And, and what really spoke to Karen was the fact that the Lord did that on my birthday. What does the Lord give on his birthdays? Does he give you a, a stone if you want to fish? Does he give you a, a serpent if you want a, a bread or however that verse goes? I'm tired. Um, what, was he, what will he do? What will your father do? Church, I think we need to celebrate the, the father is giving us a gift. So that's kind of, I think another important thing for me was it, it's not wheelchair accessible in a strict sense, but there's a lift that's going to require, like they're going to get some device that can take Veronica and put her on this lift and put her up the stairs and then put her off the lift and we're going to have a permanent wheelchair there. Um, but I didn't know if we could do all that at the time. And so I've talked to her team and her team said, wherever you go, Veronica's going to go. As long as you can have a few able-bodied people each week to help until we get those, that equipment installed. And Veronica came and met with me and, and Dan on Wednesday with her worker. And she said, I want to go wherever you go. She was so passionate. So we're not going without her. So that was another sign for me that we get we can have her and anybody else that's, that has a dis, uh, disability upstairs into the building. Oh, by the way, the, the, and, the, and the Anglican Church funded the, the permit. At first, I thought we were going to have to get it operational and get the permit. They did it all for us, which is awesome. And then, and then on the last day of the fast, unbelievable, the very last day of our three-day fast. Remember that? We had all these incredible words. It was the most incredible three-day prayer and fasting I've ever been in. It was hard for me personally and physically. But to have all our kids here and have the parents in a ring around them and, and they were doing these blocks and drawing pictures and doing these interactive things. And I just said, oh, that's what Joel meant when he said bring the babies and fast and pray and seek the Lord. God's presence just showed up. And it was on that very day that the St. David said, well, let's do it. Let's, let's move. We still had some things to ring iron things iron out but it was just a, a wonderful journey so uh here we are season seven 20 you know april the 5th 25th anniversary hey we like season seven this is great this is wonderful two weeks later we got the announcement what's that about i think god's in this i'm crazy enough to believe that god's in this how many of you crazy enough with me to believe that god's in this so the way that we have communion, come on, Rick, just tell us how we do this. And I want you guys some, to find a way to thank, give thanks for this season. Talk to each other. Meet in prayer groups. Oh, you got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I felt like the Lord really impressed on my heart that whatever has happened that's been difficult for us in this building, and we all know it hasn't always been perfect. Sometimes it hasn't been a place that we've wanted physically to invite people or that it's felt inviting that the spiritual aspect of what has happened here, and especially from the Salvation Army, is that we have been very blessed. 
And the word is very clear that when you leave somewhere where you've been blessed, you're to leave your blessing. So I wanted us to pray blessing and thanks on the Salvation Army and for the Salvation Army as we go to Eucharist, right? Because Eucharist is giving thanks. So I wanted particularly that we would collectively and individually leave our thanks. And the other thing is, as we leave this neighborhood, I just felt the Lord saying, well done. This neighborhood is vastly different than it was when our church arrived here. And there is something to that. Gordy and Shannon and Dave, Chilliwagon team, that's very largely due to your faithful, faithful work every week. And those of you who've walked and prayed and given, and just by our presence been here, pushed your kids on swings in the park, prayed, picked up trash, just been here. So good job. Well done. Beautiful. Yeah. So what I think what I'm going to do is actually bless you now, and then you're free to just uh, either take your communion and go back with friends and break bread together, or stay up here. If some of you want to stay for prayer from some of us here at the front, you can do that as well. But uh, what's the verdict on where lunch is going to be? Have we had a word? It's, it's clear.